Hello and happy holidays, I guess. Uh, welcome to another episode of Bullet Points, the critical podcast where we talk about shooting games. Uh, this is a very special episode this week because it is our last episode of the year 2016. Um, and I will be, because it's a special episode, I will be your host today. My name is Patrick Lindsay. Um, I am joined by my regular co-host and partner in crime, Reed McCarter. Core blimey, it's me, Ed Smith. Oh, sorry, that was Ed. <laughs> Where'd Reed go? I guess Reed is in the bathroom. He'll he'll probably. Oh hi. In, yeah. Hey. Sorry. Uh, here. I'm here. Yeah. That was that's great. I, I it was really awkward talking about you being in the bathroom. Yeah, I Maybe. know. <laughs> it's gross, isn't it? I think uh, I'm the only person on the planet who does that. Yeah. Well, you're you're fired now because of that. <laughs> <laughs> because this is also a very special episode, not just a special episode, we are joined by two very special guests. Uh, on my left, proverbially, because we are all, in fact, in separate rooms, but on my proverbial left, I, we have Ethan Gatch, freelance writer, seen in the likes of Kill Screen and other places around the internet, Kotaku Weekends, I believe, also. Say hi, oh, Ethan. Hello, hello. Nice. And on my proverbial right... We have freelance game writers seen in the likes of Kill Screen, The Atlantic, and many other places. Michelle Earhart. Cheers, love. <laughs> wow. All right. So these people are just making me look bad for not going with the fake British thing. That's cool. We'll, we'll work around it. Uh, anyway, normally, if you are familiar with the traditional bullet points format, we focus our discussion on a single shooter. Uh, today, however, because this is a celebration of 2016 and all things shooter in 2016, we're going to be doing it a little bit differently. We're just going to be doing a roundup, recap, uh, revisiting, what have you, of the good, the bad, and the ugly of 2016 shooters because it was a particularly uh, busy year for the genre. Um, so I haven't really prepared a... Uh, <laughs> An outline for this, because to be frank, there were just a, a ton of shooters, large and small. Um, so I think what we will do is, as we normally do, we throw first to the guests. Um, Michelle, let us start off by asking you what you thought of 2016 as a shooter fan, both good and bad. Um, I think it was probably the best year for shooters in a long time. There's a lot of competition this year. Obviously, Overwatch would be the, the big news, I think. Um, just because it sort of takes up a space that we haven't seen since like nine years ago when TF2 came out. Um, Titanfall 2 as well. A uh, big Call of Duty competitor. Um, which, I mean, a lot of shooters try to do that, but I think titanfall 2 coming from the people who made some of the best call of duties has some ground to stand on there doom coming back with force with the remake um sort of capturing the spirit of the older dooms instead of trying for like a more straight sequel thing like uh doom 3 did uh battlefield 1 also doing a similar thing going back to sort of like the world war era like battlefield uh, 1942 did, although a little bit of controversy because it's World War One, which isn't the same as World War Two. Um, and then like there's also things like Devil Daggers, which sort of captures that Doom vibe too, and also Super Hot, which sort of veers into like puzzly territory, which is um, a lot of different choices this year. See, Ethan, go sorry, go ahead, Reed. I'm sorry, just <coughs> please, yeah, please go ahead. No, I was gonna say that was good. <laughs> Michelle should host because she gave us this excellent rundown. Yeah, um, it's, it's I want to remind yeah. everyone because I have I have trouble remembering. Sh I'm like an Oscars judge, where like things that come out towards the end of the year, like 
I remember them more, so I have to like look shit up from the beginning of the year and be like, oh, right, Firewatch came out this year. Yeah, and Superhot was pretty early, too, wasn't it? Yeah. It was. It was like March or something. I just made that up, but that seems correct. Yeah, it seems right. Uh, Ethan, you are a uh, a particular fan of shooters, I have decided. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what are your overall impressions of 2016, either in general for the genre or specifically at anything that has stood out to you? So I think it's definitely, like uh, Michelle was saying, it's so all over the place that you can... Well I, well, I don't necessarily know... I mean, I didn't get a chance to play Doom, so... And there are a couple others that might be, like, you know, in the canon of shooters might stick out past 2016. Uh, canon shooters. But, I know, or whatever. <laughs> when you look at everything that's, that's, that's come out this year, like, I had totally forgotten that Quantum Break had come out. Um, oh, yeah. I forgot, too, and I reviewed that thing. <laughs> <laughs> or, like, even, like, so, you know, if you, you, like, basically you can think of, like, so shooting in 2D, you know. Oh, like God. Mighty Number no. 9 and, like, Enter the Gungeon came out and, like, Brigador, like, some indie titles. Mm-hmm. And at the other end of the spectrum, you have Titanfall and Infinite Warfare, Battlefield 1. And while none of them, like, necessarily stuck out to me, like, some games have in years past, like, the when Dishonored 1 came out. And, like, it just kind of, like, as a stealth game, as well as other, you know, dabbling in other genres, it just kind of blew me away. Nothing really did that this year, but at the same time, it, it almost feels like... because didn't play Doom. Right, exactly. <laughs> it, it feels like there's it's I like I don't even the games like Battlefield One and Infinite Warfare, I don't even feel like when I look at those that I would want to pigeonhole them as sort of uh run and gun shooters where mm-hmm. you're sort of just mindlessly moving a cursor around a screen. Like I feel I feel just all these different games have incorporated shooting mechanics of some kind or a certain point of view or uh campaign mode but have really kind of done their own thing with it. So, yeah. Michelle and Ethan, you, you both kind of made similar points, but brought up a, a couple different things that I really want to dive into. The first of them, I think we all can agree that 2016 was a, a good adjective, I think, is prolific for shooters. Um, I think it's the first time I can really remember recently where there were so many shooters that it's kind of hard to even remember them all. Um, both on the small scale and the the large like AAA scale, um, and for the first time in a while, I think the shooter market might be oversaturated again. Um, I, that's kind of the first point I sort of want to dig into is like, is is the shooter just sort of like w- was this its its day in the sun? Like, is it just its time to come back around again and be the the it genre? Like, what's going on? Reed, go ahead. You want me to go ahead? Do it. Um, I I don't know. I think people like shooting things in games. I, mm-hmm. You know, we obviously have uh, we've uh, capitalized on that in some way. You know, made the big bucks talking about it, uh, capturing our audience. Um, My uh, computer on which I'm recording this is made out of solid gold. Yeah, that's right. People <laughs> like shooting things in games, and the podcast there. That's it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, we're done. Thanks for joining us. Have a happy new year. Um. But yeah, I, I don't know if you if I it's oversaturated in one sense, but it also feels like um, it, it's less like there's a clear trend that everyone's mm-hmm. kind of chasing after. Um, it, it just seems like all these different threads are kind of uh, going in different directions. Nothing is is you know there isn't like Call of Duty as this monolithic huge thing that everyone is trying to be like. 
you know, Call of Duty is kind of trying to be like Titanfall now, and I don't know, it's it's a whole thing. So I I see when a year like this happens and there's so much and there's so much variety. It seems to me kind of like it means shooters are kind of healthier than they have been. Um, I, th- I there's more think, for other people. Yeah, I would agree with that. It's it's not just uh, yeah, because I don't know. Last few years, if you said shooters right away, I think a lot of people would think, "Do I like Call of Duty?" You know, yes or no, and then shooters are or are not for me. Whereas this year, you have you know Overwatch, which is completely different from uh, I don't know Titanfall mm-hmm. or Super Hot. Actually, I want to go into that a little bit because, like, Patrick introduced me as like a shooter fan. Here, I'm gonna introduce myself as a charlatan. Um, yes. This was like the first year where I got like back into shooters for a big time because, like, Reed said uh, before, it was sort of like, "Do you like Call of Duty? No, then d- shooters aren't really for you this year." But um, Overwatch, in particular, was so different from that. Uh, aesthetic that I was used to shooters being uh, that mm-hmm. it really stuck out to me and I got back into it and then it was my uh, gateway drug to the other shooters this year. This year I played Overwatch, Titanfall 2, Battlefield 1, and Doom and I, I have varying degrees of opinions on them but I have pretty positive opinions on all of them and I think a lot of that has to do with uh, Overwatch and Doom particularly having their own aesthetics that are sort of different from what we've gotten used to in the past couple years. I think Overwatch is, uh, despite having not played it, um, I'm just going to spoil that little tidbit for all of you listeners, Uh, despite having not played it, I do think Overwatch is one of the most interesting slash, I maybe hesitate to say capital S, significant games of the year, and I I know for a fact we're going to come back to that later, but... um, one thing I find interesting just on the on the more sort of general scale is that 2016 is a year both where shooters were everywhere, but also kind of like everything was trying to get into the shooter market sort of at the same time. Um, so games that maybe not prior had been considered shooters, like Overwatch, was a, which I'm going to ignorantly classify as a first-person MOBA, for example. Oh, um, God. I'm already mad. I, do yeah. it. That's fine. That's what I'm here to do is stir up controversy. That's, that's, that's perfectly fine. But then you also have games that are descended from series that are very much capital S shooters like Battlefield that are kind of stepping away from that like hard corridor shooter. Like Battlefield 1 has weirdly a pretty significant like stealth component in a lot of it, which is not a thing that you normally get in a Battlefield game. Um, so, yeah, the, the shooter market seems to be... Oh, God, I hate that term, shooter market. Jesus Christ. Um, the, the shooter uh, ecosystem isn't really any better. Um, the, the shooter fill-in-the-blank is kind of expanding in both directions, and I think that is probably the most interesting legacy of, of 2016 as far as the genre is concerned. Hmm. Yeah. Expand- what were both directions again? Sorry. Just to... Well, more from five, more six, more new quote new shooters or emerging games that we're not really familiar with, um, or series that are not established in the shooter genre, but also series or games that are descended from established shooter franchises are branching out and kind of leaving some of their shooteriness behind or adding onto it with additional elements. Right. Yeah, and that may be kind of you know 
what I was talking about before about uh, them not these developers not feeling as constrained about having you know making your multiplayer shooter or something have mm-hmm. to be you say shooter enough and it doesn't sound like anything it just it's true um, but making these shooters uh, you know they don't have to follow the Call of Duty mold of mm-hmm. kind of uh, thrill ride single player uh, multiplayer with all these unlocks that you well I guess they all still have that kind of stuff but um, you know just kind of stretching out what it can be like something like Doom is not I think a spectacle game it's um, more about just kind of the feel as you go through it um, and and it's better for that and Overwatch is just this purely multiplayer thing that obviously concentrates a lot more on almost fighting game style I wouldn't say MOBA style I wouldn't yeah, go that I'd, far I'd agree with fighting game style and I'd also agree with like like old school class based shooter stuff like I brought up TF2 that's the like most obvious comparison to me but there are a few MOBA elements like you can feed people's ultimates and you have you have abilities and ultimates but again that's like a, another thing that it has in common with fighting games it also has that like street fighter nationality thing to it yeah it's the coalition of nations have come together to shoot each other yeah <laughs> over and over and over again how so, I mean, how I, very hopeful for our world. <laughs> I, I think we, we we all knew this was coming, but I see us sort of shifting toward a more general Overwatch discussion, so I think it's a good time to just sort of open that up. Um, I think I might be the only person here who hasn't played Overwatch, um, which is fine. Um, there's a place for me in the world, too. Um, but I will turn the discussion over to Reed as my co-host, my regular co-host, to sort of You want discuss me to be the the overwatch guy you're yeah you are you're the resident overwatchian um because this game i don't want to say came out of nowhere because it was pretty highly anticipated but as a quote first game in a in a series or what have you um i think it's pretty surprising that it's managed to explode the way that it has and i think that definitely gives us a lot to talk about yeah it's big ethan have you played overwatch yeah i played it okay well i guess then kind of <clears throat> Because I, I didn't think I would play Overwatch because I have a hard time sticking to multiplayer stuff in shooters. Um, I usually just kind of do it as like a background thing and it doesn't... I never get truly invested because I just kind of don't care enough to get really good at something. Um, but I was kind of drawn into it despite myself. And I'm kind of... I think the thing that that I think about when I think about Overwatch is why it has such a wide audience so what i would ask ethan and or michelle is kind of what drew you to that game and either of you can answer in whichever order you please preferably michelle, not at the you same time but we can work with that um am i a terrible person if i say cute girls <laughs> no uh, no overwatch. i think that's kind of amazing actually <laughs> so overwatch has women in it which is important to me um, and I know that that probably sounds kind of superficial, but like, um, again, I said my, my biggest point of comparison for Overwatch was probably TF2, and I can get into that more later. I used to play TF2 a bunch, like in my uh, uh, freshman and sophomore year of college, but TF2 is this very masculine game about like very showy, sort of protective, egotistical, I killed you, haha, I'm the king of the mountain. Uh, now game and all the characters in it 
are men, and also all of them are white except for the demo man and maybe the pyro, but it's in a mask, so even if he's not white, it's not great representation. Meanwhile, Overwatch is this almost sort of superhero aesthetic, which has uh, tons of variety to it, uh, like a lot of superhero casts do, and it was way easier for me um, as a trans woman to see myself in that game with all these different aesthetics to pick from. I actually wrote an article about, I was talking about women, but the, the character that I identified enough with to write an article about was uh, Genji, because I think his whole accepting himself as a cyborg thing was neat. And I know it's like it's sci-fi or whatever, but I have the thing for cyborg ninjas. I also like Raiden for similar reasons. Um, yeah, I just think Overwatch has a whole lot more things for like that initial latching on point for someone. Like you can develop yeah. a deeper appreciation for the game as you go on, but like as you watch these shorts, Overwatch has more characters for you to get interested and be like interested in and be like, "Ooh, who's that?" Whereas like TF2, it's like these are all just like paramilitary guys literally named after their class role. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's I I think when you said, you know, it's kind of laughed when you said, well, cute girls. But, like, that, you can't I think, play down how how big it is, just the character designs in that game and how there's kind of something for everyone to to latch onto. And they're just very well-designed characters and colorful and, you know, they look good together and matched up in different ways. Like, you know, it is like a comic book or something like X-Men or you, uh, they're kind of action figures that you throw together and and uh, see how different scenarios might play out when you put them together. Yeah, I'm a sucker for like good visual character design. Like I've actually I've been like on a Dragon Ball kick recently, and that's like like the big generic anime. But um, that series has such a specific style. All the characters have a very distinctive silhouette. They're all very bright and cartoony, and like I see that in Overwatch as well. Whereas in like Call of Duty literally everyone is the same generic soldier man and mm -hmm. if you turned everyone into silhouettes you couldn't tell who was who and it's a way even as a game even like okay i'm being i'm talking gamery but like even in the play it's a lot harder to read when everyone like looks similar too so it, I, it even cons goes into the mechanics as well mm -hmm. yeah no, i think that's i think that's definitely true i remember i was playing some of the uh, beta for infinite warfare and I thought I was like, I didn't think I was hot shit, but I thought I was going to be okay because I've been playing tons of Destiny and I was tearing it up in the multiplayer there. And I was like, all right, well, I can ease back into Modern Warfare, or not Modern Warfare, uh, Call of Duty, and be okay. And I must have died 12, 15, like 20 times in the first match without getting a single kill. Like just within five to 10 seconds, I would just turn a corner and just get killed every time. And it was completely, it did feel like, it felt like such an empty experience, even in failure, because you just, like, I don't even know who killed me. Like, I could try to look at the whatever incomprehensible handle the person was using, but for the most part, it's just like, all right, some dude in a suit of, like, you know, mech armor or whatever just killed me. Whereas, even in uh, Overwatch, like, even dying over and over again, which I, I often do, to, like, other characters, it... it there, it feels like there's something more going on there, and it's not like it doesn't reach the level of sort of an in-game narrative so much. But there is the feeling of it having like each the experience is unique depending on which character has killed you in the same way that it is in a lot of MOBAs, but particularly for Overwatch because I feel like the characters 
the design is much more it's much more holistic in terms of paying attention to like how a character looks and what their backstory is and then how they function in the game and what their abilities are so that yeah, it, even if you're so not much, even if you're not oh, great at it there's something there that's appealing it's so much easier to like communicate with your team too instead of being like oh there's a guy behind the building you can be like oh there's a zenyatta on top of the gas station <laughs> everything has a yeah. name and it's so much easier to understand the world that way which i think also makes it a sort of good introduction or in my case like reintroduction back into shooters and then as we're talking about communication too because there are female characters um like a lot of the generic like way that people talk to each other's on talk to each other online and especially in video games is like the default assumed pronoun is he uh but because a lot of the characters are female i found that people will refer to other players using the pronoun of whatever character they're playing. That's so, true, like, actually. If you're playing against a Widowmaker, uh, your team, they could be like the most like generic gamer guys in the world, but they won't say, oh, there's a s some dude sniping us up there. It'll be like, oh, there's Widowmaker up there. Go get her. And it, it feels small, but it mean it helps me as a woman feel more included in this space that like, a lot of people are referring to other players as women without even realizing it. Yeah, that's that's actually a, a big point. I mean, I try not to look at what's being typed too often anyway. Because <laughs> like a lot of people are saying, Overwatch has this great community and people. It are... used to. <laughs> did it, did it? Maybe it's because I signed up there and. No, it's fine. Communities <laughs> always get like. <laughs> way more crappy the bigger they get. It's unfortunate. Yeah, Titanfall I... 2's community is so nice because it's like 50 people. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can't. Yeah, you can't be rude to someone because it's probably like your neighbor. Or <laughs> <laughs> it's someone you're going to pay attention to. Um, that I was interested too in what uh, Ethan was saying about playing Call of Duty and um, kind of hopping back into it and just getting killed over and over again too because. This is another kind of, you know, hard design type thing, but I actually had, for some reason, got sucked into Black Ops 3 last year. And I just played that a bunch, um, listened to music, and just kind of zoned out around Christmas. Uh, and so this year I was trying to play Infinite Warfare for whatever reason. Um, and man, that game just, it hates you in a way that Overwatch doesn't. It It's, uh, you, you kind of have to, you kind of have to punish yourself for a good couple of hours before you can even survive for more than you know 30 seconds at a time um see and, i feel like a lot of that is just sort of like a legacy of the shooter genre yeah. pretty much back to like when it started there's this and this goes back to michelle to what you were saying there's this era of just like machismo that just saturates every aspect of shooters and has since like basically since wolfenstein 3d and doom but then kind of got a shot in the arm with Modern Warfare and, like, whatever the hell happened to the shooter community in 2007 as a result of that. Um, and it's sort of... It's kind of always been there, but it's interesting to see that that's sort of melting away as more and diverse groups of people start to play shooters as a result of games like Overwatch. And I'm really excited to see what happens moving into 2017 as a result of that. Yeah, even Doom, which is like the most masculine game ever, it approaches it with like a sense of humor about itself. Right. Yeah, I was kind the, of like the self seriousness isn't there. Yeah, I wasn't 
I wasn't entirely surprised because I expected it to be smart in that way, but like my initial read of Doom 2016 was a little like, eh, this isn't for me. But then as I played it, I was like, this is this game is hilarious. It knows what it's doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think that's that's one of the, you know, I guess we've said this a bunch of times now, but that's one of the good things I think that you can take away from 2016. Uh, even regardless of if you don't care for all of these games, I, I think they've they've kind of uh, breathed some life back into a genre that I, I really don't think is going to go anywhere because people love shooting things. Um, and but they've they've kind of moved on now. It's it's not a uh, Call of Duty anymore or Counter Strike or Team Fortress or uh, any of those old games. It's um, it seems like there are more possibilities. Uh, well, so one of the well, things, go ahead, Ethan. I noticed with uh, like Destiny is in. So one of the things that caught me about Destiny's multiplayer is that you can get shot at and still have time to whip around a corner or undercover and survive and sort of like stay in the action. Whereas with a lot of games like Call of Duty, you you know if you get if someone gets the jump on you, if they draw first you're done and then you just have to respawn and, and try again and mm-hmm. so it almost puts the the emphasis on the sort of you know the reward is i'm twitchier than you i was able to find the headshot first or i was able to move my cursor you know snap onto you first and so i was able to rack up a kill streak whereas one of the things i think like one of the things that got me about destiny was it was kind of it was all about the feel of the actual shooting of the guns and so part of the design is, whether intentional or not, is to get you to be able to feel that as long as possible. So instead of constantly killing you, it kind of it gives you a chance to pop in and out and actually have fun shooting as opposed to just having fun when you actually kill someone. Which I, I think is it's interesting. There's some games that, you know, depending on whether or not you're going to have a bullet sponge or you know, focus on... Like, there's some games... Uh, Homefront you know, 2 came out this year. And sure when you kill things in Homefront oh, wow, 2, it like it doesn't even feel like you, you've you've done anything. It kind of it, it's such a detached feeling that it's almost like the shooter mechanic is sort of uh, it was like an afterthought. So that's actually a point that I kind of wanted to talk about, and just bear with me. I promise I'm going somewhere with this. Uh, 2016 has been also a really interesting year for making players feel things about killing and feel different things. Usually positive or at least reflective um doom is all about just the joy of like ripping a demon literally in half for example Um, but then you have games like mafia 3 that are almost pure catharsis in their violence and then you have games that are more capital c competitive almost in like an athletic sense like overwatch or um to a lesser extent like battlefield or call of duty and I think that this is one of the first years, anyway, that I can recall such a broad, <laughs> sounds silly to say, but a like a broad spectrum of emotions associated with the act of killing a thing in a video game. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious to pick each of your brains about that. Come on, you murderers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, God. That's, that's a big one. Do it up, Reed. Go. I, I don't want to go first. I don't know. Cause I so... Don't... Oh, go on. No, no, Michelle, I'd, I'd be happy, because I don't know if I agree with Patrick, but I, Michelle, please, go go well, ahead. I guess the 
the big moment I had with killing this year. Uh, oh God! <laughs> that's, that's another. I sh- always. <laughs> that's another. We actually take that out of context. A perfect we have like, already. Just go pitch it and write it. You're done. <laughs> I we guess have I a actually, bell that we I ring two, every time we end up on an FBI watch list, by the way. <laughs> I had two big moments with killing this year. Because if you'll all remember, The Division came out this year. Right, I, it, it did. It feels like it came out two years ago. But The Division came out this year. Um, and I got to go to a press event about that. The Gamergate got mad at me for going. Oh, I said the word. But that they got mad at me for going I'll to. I'll edit it out. Don't worry. Um that people got mad at me for going to. <laughs> um, because, like, I went to this press event for The Division, and I was going around, uh, I was supposedly, like, an agent uh, of the government uh, meant to restore peace in a time where New York has fallen into chaos due to a smallpox outbreak, um, which is like Wait, a are virus. are we talking about The Division or The Press Event? We're talking about The Division. Okay. I was like, what the hell is happening? Oh, thank God. Um, no, the, the setup for The Division is it's Black Friday, and the money is laced with smallpox, and uh, everyone in New York gets smallpox, and they close it off, and then a bunch of sleeper agents for the government are, like, enacted to do martial law and sort of keep peace in the city. However, the way the game reads Keeping Peace is you go around and find people who are quote-unquote looting uh, for stuff that they need to survive, and you shoot them with no remorse, and they're almost always, like, people of color or uh, people... One boss I was shooting, and she's like, I just need food for my baby! And I was like, oh, God. Um, It just feels like you're there supposedly to protect the civilians but what you end up doing is you shoot people who are just trying to survive in a very sort of destroyed environment for looting and then you go and you loot them yourself so it's not sounds like they're right on the money (laughs) yeah that was the smallpox that was right on the money (laughs) Mm. i'm gonna Uh, just i'm gonna log off right now and i will leave the rest of the episode to you that's that's (laughs) i apologize sincerely so uh, it's just a go on. No, I, I was going to say, Michelle, I don't know if I'm... Am I cutting you off? Oh, no, 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 you're fine. I was going to say the division, actually, is... Uh, I'm glad you brought that up because I think that is... Uh, was one of the more striking examples of of that we... I don't think we had a ton of this year. I'm sure we'll think of more of them. Of uh, these games that kind of seemed like they, they, they uh, pasted... <laughs> the story on after they figured out what the game was going to be and then it had terrible implications yeah it um, was very sort of tone deaf uh yeah. game about like police overreach and the setup is very sort of like civilian superhero-y um yes yeah. you're so you're supposedly a hero but you're doing these very unheroic actions and it just does not feel good to shoot these people that like they're 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 put forward to you as like having taken over the city this huge faction you're like a lone agent going out to to save people but you have like the backing of the government you have so much gear you're the empire and they're running at you with baseball bats it doesn't feel like you're heroic here yeah there's um that and uh i i think also that home front too which i think was 
The Revolution? Is that what it was subtitled? Yeah. Ethan? Yeah? Wow, really? That's correct. <laughs> That's correct. Where the thing that kind of got me about those games is they uh, were sort of the worst cynical, paranoid snapshot of, of America that you could have dreamed up, I think. Um, you know, not to uh, wander into the weeds here, because I'm sure we could talk about lots of great things about American politics in 2016, but these games, I think, were just sort of the, <laughs> the sickest indulgent, the sort of uh, masturbatory, like, heroics of, of the American people getting <laughs> getting righteous targets to kill, um, which, which I think was striking. We don't see as much of that in shooters, I think, anymore, and these two games came out, and... Uh, and just kind of fucking rolled around in it, you know? Um, and, and I'm glad that, that it, it was only sort of these two games that came out and and uh, did that sort of thing when we used to see a lot more of that, you know? Um, well, yeah, it's it's fairly common shooter practice when you can't think of anything else to just have your villains be, like, nondescript drug addicts or nondescript uh, quote-unquote militants or insurgents, which is really just code name for you know brown people um and yeah i think you're right i think 2016 whether consciously or not started to veer away from that we definitely still had those games um both this year and the year prior um uh, michelle to hear you talk about um the division just made me it gave me nightmare flashbacks to playing through battlefield hardline which to this day, I will never turn down an opportunity to rub that game's face in the mud because it's a piece of shit, but um, same sort of idea. Like, Even if they're quote-unquote well-intentioned, it's just so, to use your, your word, tone-deaf. And yeah. I think that, I know this isn't a political podcast, but I think given the current political climate in which we all exist, um, and seeing as how game developers are creators of media that is consumed on a mass level. I think to not be aware of that is irresponsible, and I don't think there is an excuse for it anymore. Everything is political, Patrick. Um, <laughs> well, I, say. I, I was going to say that without <laughs> trying to think of a way to say that, but th that is something we brought up before. I don't think you can say it's not a political podcast because you know we talk about this shit, and I think you talk about. I think all of us here would would agree that when you talk about games where you're murdering people and you're presented in a heroic light, there's there's politics inherent to that, to who, who the, the division, characters are. Uh, the Division is a game about... And, like, I live in New York now. I don't want to say I'm a New Yorker because I am not natively from here, but I've been here for going on three years now. And The Division is a game about saving New York by shooting New Yorkers. Mm -hmm. um, and, like, they're not they're not, like, explicitly evil... New Yorker, I mean, can a person really be evil? But, like, until you get to the end, they're not even, <laughs> like, explicitly villainous New Yorkers. Um, some of them are, like, organized into groups, but for the most part, like, the people you encounter wandering around the world, at least from my experience playing it, are just sort of people in streetwear looking through trash bins. And in, like, an apocalyptic scenario like that, that seems like a totally reasonable thing to do if it is deserving of punishment for whatever reason, it's not like, you know, judge, jury, executioner, d death penalty, I think. You know, that's another thing that I think, um, I know I may be getting a little off track here, but like uh, 
a lot of people looking at justice think like, oh, well, this person stole a, a cigarette, so clearly they were deserving of getting shot um, by by that cop. But the 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 weight of the punishment there is so totally uneven from the act that it's not proportional. And the division, I think, is another game that makes that mistake. Yeah, it's so only. I think. Oh, sorry, Ethan. I think this goes back to what you were saying, Reed. Where it feels like with the division, there were uh, very some core design ideas that people wanted to implement in terms of having multiple people in an environment rummaging around for loot, with the risk of uh, being able to shoot one another and steal each other's stuff. And so then around that, they tried to create this other scenario where the writers are sort of, uh, they're secondary and it's kind of like, what, you know, this is what we want to do with the gameplay. What kind of current ideologies are accepted enough that you can shoehorn it in? So like, Mm. all right, well, you know, this we can justify it because the conventional wisdom is that in terrible events, law and order is important above all else. And also like, you know... If uh, if you don't want to get shot, then just don't, you know, go south of the law or whatever. It's like basically these they they kind of they use all these shortcuts, whether it's Arkham Asylum or um, the Division or Homefront, to basically instead because they don't just want to have a shooting gallery with these sort of abstract symbols like uh, Super Hot. They want to actually have it in a sort of realistic world. So I feel like, and in the end, like because all of these writers aren't necessarily treated as either. I mean, I, I hope it's the case that because they're sort of kept secondary, that that's why the stories are so terrible and so sort of uh, like off the shelf um, conventional politics and stuff. But you know, otherwise, it's just if these people <laughs> otherwise are really it's that a dumb, lot more malicious. Ethan, I will I will pose this question to you because you were just talking about the point but anyone feel free to answer it what is it like th- this kind of weird obsession with hyper realism in shooters particularly is actually fairly new um and i'm wondering what it is about our current climate that kind of steers us toward that so we end up with games like battlefield hardline or the division um it's almost like we're afraid of abstraction like it's taking right. something away from our experience and i don't know i i can't really work that out well so i guess you, like we were talking about doom earlier and i feel like now as someone who grew up not being very into shooters because i was terrified of guns and of like blood and violence and stuff you know in my in more recently it, you know if you look at it feels like if you look at sort of the days of early days of doom and unreal tournament and this sort of heightened over the top um, sort of Arnold Schwarzenegger action movie type shooter game that was really just about it was almost like you're just in this weird fantasy slash nightmare mode going through doing crazy stuff with guns as opposed to like it almost feels like ever after you know coinciding with 9-11 and uh, Activision being like we're going to pay homage to World War II everything has been sort of a military shooter like and I think that's interesting like I almost when I when someone says the word shooter I think military shooter mm-hmm. but until recently that was sort of a very niche genre that wasn't mm-hmm. it wasn't the popular genre I um, wrote when we when we covered Battlefield 1 one of the things I said was that 
quote-unquote military shooters are a distinctly post-9-11 phenomenon. Um, you know, I, th- I think you just kind of cut to the to the heart of that right there. Is that it's very reactionary. Right. Um, Reed, do you want to do you have something to say? No, go want? for it. Uh, I think a lot of that. Um, going back a little bit, uh, Reed, you talked about them, or Ethan, maybe talked about them, like creating this set of mechanics that they wanted to focus on, and then uh, sort of stapling a story on top of that. I think this sort of emphasis on on stories, because uh, like the division, its main point, like the, I think it's right to say the story was an afterthought, but the way they present the story, especially at that press event I went to, is they spent like two hours talking about the story to us mm-hmm. before we got to play the game. See, they that's interesting. Hours of cutscenes as you play the game. If it. The thing is, if the story is an afterthought, then why is it such a big focus in the presentation of the game? Yeah, I think about that a lot with... Um, be, because you, you see that come up, I think, when you review certain things, too. <clears throat> People will say, um, you talk too much about the story and not about the game. Um, the game cares about the story, is the but, thing. Yeah, and that, yeah exactly. And, and I think the, the, the weight that you give to a story in, in a game uh, is directly influenced by, you know, if the, if the creators of, of the game care enough to give you some setup that they want you to be thinking about, that they, you know, introduce their entire project with some plot setup, then you're you're just kind of playing by their rules to, to give a shit about it. Um, right. But, um, oh, go on. No, I was just going to say, it's completely fair... Um, what you say too, you know, they're gonna <clears throat> if the story came later, and and I don't know, it's conjecture, right? I don't think any of us know exactly how it was made. Uh, it's just how it feels. But even if it came after, if they're gonna if they're gonna get out there and say <laughs> you know, this is this scenario and we talk to people from like the World Health Organization and they and did, yeah. Is is that actually one of the people, one of the groups? They uh, to? Not necessarily the World Health Organization, but they did talk to like survivalist experts. Yeah. And... And, oh dear God. And so it's if if you are introducing your your material in this way, then you're saying it's very important to us. Realism is very important, and so you have to look at this stuff as as realistic and whatever uh, implications that has, which in the division right. is like fucking nightmarish. And I don't know how much of that story is like a the aftermath of the whole World War II shooter thing. Because if you're focusing on World War II, like that deserves reverence. You're obviously going to have to put some clear effort into the story there. And I don't know how much of that is a holdover from the World War II thing. But what I would say with some of that is so much attention goes into... I think basically you have to have some kind of reverence in any situation where you're talking about murdering a lot of people um where you're i mean it depends what the enemy is and doom whatever you know they're demons fuck them who cares um but see doom doom pays a certain reverence to its to its own pedigree um which is an obnoxious thing to say i'll be the first one to admit it but (laughs) it's 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 true um i think yeah go ahead because i think you're saying exactly what i'm thinking uh no, no, yeah, I, I mean, I was just going to say, uh, I, I kind of sidetracked myself thinking about it, but, you know, if you're going to, uh, yeah, what, 
there it is. <laughs> what I was saying is that, you know, the attention to realism, um, I, I think a lot of the obsessive research and everything goes into details that sometimes matter less than what you're saying mm-hmm. with a game. Um, I think it's safe to say that games have been and still very much are st- struggling intensely to claim a capital R relevance um, you know made up or otherwise and I think that at least up until this year one common path to achieve that goal is to tackle really super serious TM subject matter Um, and I think we're finding that it's okay to step away from that and still make something important Right, but at the same time, like a game like The Division will present itself as tackling that super serious subject matter. But then, like, when I spoke to the creative director straight from the horse's mouth trying to talk to him about this subject matter, he was like, oh, well, this is just a game. This is apolitical. At the end of the day, it's for fun, etc." So they're trying to have their cake and yeah, eat it, yeah, too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they want, they want to be able to have the... Uh, the recognition for doing something culturally significant, but they don't want to be held accountable for it, for for their missteps. Yeah, and I hope that I hope that's something that's kind of being uh, grown out of slowly. But who knows? That's the optimistic I mean, we've, viewpoint. We've talked a lot about games that have tried and failed to address cultural or political or social issues, but I actually feel like. Uh, overall, 2016 has been a net positive for games and shooters specifically on that front. Um, I think the obvious case there is Mafia 3, which is a game that we covered both in print and on this podcast, but I, there are others I know that people have really um, lauded for for that, such as Watch Dogs 2, uh, to a lesser extent Battlefield 1, I guess, if you're feeling super charitable. Um, Wait, what, what have people said about Watch Dogs 2? Has anyone here played Watch Dogs 2? No. No. Yeah, I think it's just well, you, played it. I mean, even the I, fact I, I that you... I would love to, but like, the collectibles scare me away. Yeah. Well, yeah, same. I mean, the, the Ubisoftification is still very strong with that game, from what I understand. But even the fact that you go from playing as a white dude with a magic phone who essentially instigates and then beats down street criminals to playing as a black man who is very much on the side of the common citizen rather than just hacking their phones and stealing their money, like, that in and of itself is noteworthy. Um, The fact that we've had multiple games with black men on their covers, um, I think is huge. Even Battlefield 1 put a a black soldier on its cover, which is incredible when you think about the Battlefield series especially and its relationship to any sort of social awareness. They do put a black soldier on their cover, but, like, in the game, in the story, he's part of the Harlem Hellfighters, right? right and that's yeah. like in the intro series, in in the intro sequence, it's ten minutes long, and literally everyone dies. Oh, and I'm not. For, I'm. I am not trying to give it a free pass. Don't. don't oh, for sure. Me. And then, like for the rest <laughs> of the game until the final mission, you're playing as I may be wrong, but I think pretty much as exclusively white dudes until you the are, final yeah. mission well, when you yeah, play, when you as, play a, as an Arab woman, as the Arabic woman. I believe their way around that the is. Woman. I believe the way around that is. I think the the narrator, quote unquote, is meant to be one of the Harlem Hellfighters. 
because right. it's the same voice in every at the beginning of every segment. I was confused by that. Like, why <laughs> am I not? Why is the narrator not the character I'm playing? Right. Exactly. Yeah, he, uh, he's telling you these these war stories. <laughs> oh, the fucking story in that game. <laughs> um, I I think we're we're kind of creeping up on the end. That doesn't mean that we have to do we've, this last we've got some time. parts we've got some time. slowly at all. But um, one thing I want to to ask everyone, even Patrick, is uh, kind of what you thought were your your favorites. If you can pick one, cool. If not, a few. And, and your least favorites from this year uh, from shooters. And Because I, I kind of think that might be an interesting way to sort of talk about what we uh, what we took away from 2016 so because 2016 has taken away so much from us <laughs> that's right I think we got a few things back so maybe I'll throw to Ethan first if you want to oh no no um gosh it's hard you can come back to you if you want come back to me alright you start scribbling things down Michelle do you have uh any standouts uh. My favorite, like, from this game is I absolutely have to pick... My favorite from this year is I have to pick Overwatch. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not just shooter, but game in general. I'm going to go with the general mass opinion there and feel like an asshole. But my baby from this year that I really want to advocate for is Titanfall 2. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't say it's my favorite, but I really do. I was way more impressed with that game than I thought I would be. So I've talked to... Ethan, have you played Titanfall 2? I've played it for like three hours. Okay, and Patrick, you haven't played it yet, have you? I have not. No. Um, Although, stay tuned to bulletpointsmonthly.com, and you might see it in the future. Yeah, Patrick may <laughs> just be smile, soon. tooth glint. <laughs> but I've talked to Michelle a little bit about this because I'm I'm kind of I I don't dislike Titanfall two. I just it just kind of I don't know. It's fine, but I want to hear what you like about that game, especially because I. I know lots of people love the hell out of that game, and I just don't quite understand it. Uh, so, uh, so, um, Titanfall 2. The thing I kind of wanted to talk about, not just Titanfall 2, but, like, shooters in general this year, the four that I played that I was fairly impressed with all of them, although to varying degrees. Um, like, we were talking about the division and how it focuses so much on story to its detriment because the story is not the crux of what the division does well. Mm-hmm. I think what Titanfall 2 does, and I think a lot of the other good shooters this year, is they commit to their core rule set, their core like gameplay loop really well. They don't stretch themselves thin. Instead, they commit to doing what they do well exceptionally well. So with Titanfall 2, what I see, especially in the uh, campaign mode, is um, you could go in expecting this very, like, broad sort of swashbuckling Call of Duty plot about, like, oh, this person has nuclear weapons and we have to stop them, or, oh, Russia's invading America, and it's sort of this broader narrative that's not exceptionally well written and is just an excuse for fights starring people whose names you don't really know super well um and titanfall 2 does have all that but it's all sort of in the background um 
what I think Titanfall 2 does exceptionally well and where I think it places the focus of its story is on the friendship between the main character and his robot uh, BT and it sort of transforms the game into a buddy cop movie mm-hmm. which I think s- suits its action much better than like the Hollywood blockbuster uh, types of plot that um, Call of Duty style games have tried to go for in the past so what you have are these sort of intimate character moments in between the shooting segments or even like on comms during the shooting segments so that as you're playing uh, you have a reason to care about these people it's sort of like it introduces arenas where you shoot characters and normally in other games you wouldn't really care too much about these characters you wouldn't know a bunch of their names they would all sort of look the same but in Titanfall 2 because you get these sort of cutesy little uh, conversations which you even have choices in with your robot because you get this sort of developing friendship through, they're, they're not really big choices but it, it's just a fun little diversion. No they're good though. It's not like yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, that's another thing it's not like a Mass Effect big moral choice it's just like you know how do you want to shit talk with your friend uh, which I think is another wise way to approach characterizing these people I think what Titanfall 2 does is during its main gameplay scenarios it allows you to care about its two big stars more so than any other not any other but a lot of other shooters in the same sort of military style because the crux of the narrative focus is on their friendship that's um, yeah no I'm I'm on board with you on that and like I also think it's just an exceptionally well playing game but like I think the big theme of shooters this year was they all very smartly focused on characters over plot which I think fits games well uh, because it means it's hard necessarily to care about a plot when you're in the thick of an intense firefight but the stars of the firefight are in your face all the time and like especially with Overwatch it makes it very clear you know who those stars are and you can thus read and care about the action a lot more clearly. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Um, yeah, I think BT for whatever I feel about Titanfall 2, I think BT, the robot, is fantastic. <laughs> I like that guy a lot. Yeah, he's a big cute murder dog in, in humanoid form and I I have a soft spot for that <laughs> yeah yeah um ethan what's what's one of your your faves it's hard i'm gonna have to so <laughs> you have one job favorite, favorite moments all right favorite things because uh, holistically i can't say that i was in love with any of the shooters that came out this year um even overwatch as much as i like parts of overwatch I just there's just like there's something that's missing deep inside it that just I can't feel you know it, it doesn't speak to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but so Dishonored two came out this year, and while it's not your conventional shooter, one of the things that that game that I love about it is you have this revolver and you have maybe you know I don't know anywhere from ten to twenty bullets depending on upgrading and stuff, and it is. I think one of the, with the exception of like a few things in Destiny, one of the most satisfying, uh, 
crunches ever in a game for me is just shooting someone with a gun in Dishonored when they're like walking up to where I'm hiding and I'm just like I'm not just gonna I'm I'm not gonna sit here anymore you know what I'm just gonna go rogue we're gonna see what happens uh, and it's one of those things that I feel like it it almost it it does something different because you don't have you know a lot of games now especially are uh, lost shooters decided well you're just always going to have ammunition you should always be able to shoot your gun because if you can't shoot your gun that's no fun and you know they're you know we're going to go around meleeing people uh that's the thing for in destiny for instance where your normal ammo almost never runs out um and i it almost it almost kind of makes each individual bullet feel less consequential and it kind of turns enemies into bullet sponges similar to for instance Deus Ex which was not which was one of I thought the worst shooters this year um even though I thought it was a it was an interesting worthwhile game in other ways so I, I, I one other thing I want to point out is as much as Homefront the Revolution is a joke and Crytek needs to pay its fucking employees on time <laughs> um it's it I I look at that game and I just think how much better this would be if there were no guns in it or if the guns were sort of like uh, they were stuck in a very specific portion of it and the rest of the time you were just going around talking to people and having conversations like if someone just took this sort of ideas behind papers please and blew it up into the environments that I thought especially you know living in Philadelphia were sort of very interesting to me it it just I'd still look at that game, and I know uh, Cameron Kunzelman has written some interesting things about it. There's just, I look at it and I see a lot of lost opportunities and and sort of unrealized potential, as opposed to just uh, a horror show of American ideology. Patrick, I, I guess we'll yep. just make the the jarring cut, the jump cut here. What That's it, me. What are your faves? What are your? I mean, I'm gonna look, I'm gonna let you all guess what I'm gonna say. I think um, I think we might even have the same Mafia one. Three, probably. Oh, no. it's, Mafia Three is up there. It's not my favorite. Um, well, it's one of my favorites. <laughs> my my capital F favorite is Doom, um, because I think it is the best designed game of the year, both as a standalone game and as a game that is iterating on a previous version of itself. The catch um, is so just Patrick only plays yeah. the multiplayer. Oh God! Oh, oh no! That's not true. Patrick is the most prolific uh, Doom level editor on Reddit right now. It's true. The one time I tried to launch the Doom multiplayer, it crashed on me, yeah, and was... I think that's probably the best indicator of that game's multiplayer I've seen. Yeah, I haven't ever tried. I have. I have no interest in it. Um, I've heard fine things about it. Just multiplayer is not my jam. It's it's fine. It's just it's mm-hmm. nothing exceptional. Patrick, go into Doom because this is your question. I don't want to hijack it. No, totally fine. Um, I just I think that it is a game that began with a core concept of know exactly what Doom is and work from there, and they did exactly that. Um, I was talking with somebody on Twitter, and I feel Phil Hornshaw on Twitter about Doom and what made it so great. Um, and if you, I, I think. The way to answer that question is to look at all of the things that Doom doesn't do that are very common in modern day shooters, and it just it carves away all of the unnecessary like collection crap. It carves away all of the. Uh, 
It. I mean, we talked about this very extensively in the episode we did on Doom, and I'm. I'm. That's the part I'm least happy with. Um, the fact that there are collectibles, but the fact is, you can pretend that they're not there, and it won't super detract from the experience. Um, on top of that, it carves away the need for like gritty realism that shooters seem to super love. It carves away the really extensive, like drawn out, uh, expository plot elements, and you're left with just a game that is about it's a it's it's okay with just being about movement and shooting and violence. Um, in an I, era where we seem to like to interrogate those things the most. I agree with all of those points very strongly. I feel very similarly. I think they sort of tie into a lot of what I was saying about Titanfall 2. I think in general, 2016 was a year where shooters sort of looked inward to themselves, tried to look at like what they did best and focus specifically on those instead of... Um, trying to sort of spread themselves over their games that are very... Doom is a game that is very confident mm -hmm. about what it is, to the mm -hmm. point where the main character is actively antagonistic towards, like, a broad, stretching plot, which yes. is hilarious. Which, yeah, it made me laugh out loud, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Doom is definitely... I have a lot of love for Doom. Unfortunately, all three of us, uh, Patrick, Ed, and I, usually agree... I think too much about a lot of things, so I don't know if I have much else interesting to say about Doom, other than uh... play it. <laughs> if you want token negative points, I have. Them. Yeah, that's I was. Go, yeah, I mean, it couldn't hurt. No, I was gonna. I pivot. very much. By the time I finished Doom, I very much enjoyed it. I think like seventy, eighty percent of it is an incredibly strong movement shooter. Which part of the reason I love Overwatch is those sort of individual heavy choice moments when you're dueling with another player uh, where you get surprised um, by something they do and you have to react very quickly. Uh, it's almost like in a soccer match when you see a ball go flying one way and then suddenly like a, another player from the enemy team kicks it in an unexpected direction and the it, pace of the match changes instantly. I think Doom does a good job of sort of recapturing that in a single-player mm. aesthetic with the movement of the demons and the different ones spawning in and the different enemy types, which is also captures a very golden age of shooter thing. I think it does that very well. Unfortunately, it has a very weak opening and closing to me, which I think makes it harder to get into the game that way. Uh, because when you first get into the game, it's sort of a bit more corridor-y than I would like. There's not that enemy t many enemy types. A bunch of the cool stuff that your guns do are locked behind upgrades, and you have these sort of long sort of moments of nothing with uh, exploration and collectibles that maybe while well, going back to a golden age of gaming thing... it. You go into the game, it tells you rip and tear, and you don't really get into the rip and tearing until, like, the third level. And then going off of that, the end ending of the game leans very heavily on the plot that the rest of the game doesn't seem to care much yeah. about with Samuel and Olivia, um, these characters that, you know, they, they try to endear Samuel and Vega to you throughout the game, but they're literally, they're people in robot suits, and unlike BT, they're not the cute iron giant way they're just talking heads um so i think ending the game on those talking heads was kind of a weak element but it does sort of have that ground grind housey sequel bait moment that redeems it a little bit 
Um, I think the big weak point for Doom for me was the sound design, honestly. And I know a lot of people really Oof. like the sound design in that game. Yeah. But to me, I think the moments... There's too many quiet moments. Um, which, quiet, good. You need downtime. But I have moments where I'm in combat and in the background. There's no background music. There's just a dead silence. Uh, if not dead silence, then there's constant screaming in my ears, which is <laughs> fun true. for a little bit and helps characterize the levels. But for hours and hours, it's not... It gets a little tedious. Um, I didn't really start enjoying Doom until I started pumping my own kill track in the background <laughs> with like anime battle themes and shit. Which again, that maybe just be me not exactly rubbing with the uh, masculinity of the game again. Which you know, it's a very knowingly masculine game, which uh -huh. I can gel with, but it's still not necessarily my home territory. Yeah, I think one of the things that Phil said or what, during that conversation is, like, if Doom were a person, it would wear pants with, like, flame decals on it. But, like, would still be a really cool, chill guy. Yeah, that's like someone you invite to a, a party on your, you know, for Friday or Saturday night, but that's not necessarily someone I want to be my best man, I guess. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, I, I mean, I have, for some reason, I think maybe because I'm... Uh, have always thought traditional masculinity is is inherently I don't know I guess that's <laughs> I'm getting caught I believe up I the word you're looking for is hilarious well I was going to say hilarious but I was going to say it can also not be a, a great thing can not be such a funny thing um, but I, I mean I think as a guy who is not like a big sports dude or anything and didn't you know go hunting or like punching people uh, traditional <laughs> traditional masculinity. Why are those the two things? I don't know, man. It's sports and hunting. Punching. I think Doom is, is very like strong about what it is, but it locks a lot of itself behind uh, a lot of doors that I don't think need to be there. So it it's oddly shy about, which again, <laughs> traditional masculinity, like boy afraid to ask the girl out. Uh, but it's it's oddly shy about sort of coming out and revealing itself to you. Um, but, like, once you get into those core rhythms that come with specifically the demon nests, I think it makes for a uh, very strong game that knows what it's about. It's just there's too many hoops I have to jump through for it. Yeah, no, I, I can <clears throat> I can see that, and I, I don't think Doom is for everyone. I was actually kind of surprised by how many people uh, really liked it. Um, it appeals to me on a lot of just like basic like aesthetic levels like the hell stuff and and just the how over the top um kind of like this 80s early 90s version of of tough guy stuff it has going on like the same reason i find something like gears of war really funny um is a large reason why i find something like doom really funny but i also you know really understand someone just being put off by the whole thing just saying. I mean, I was initially put off, but as I got into the game, I also thought it was pretty hilarious. I was stopping and like uh, texting friends about moments I found that were hilarious. I like the little audio logs that you find from the demons, which is a nice sort of inversion of the typical audio log trope that you find in a lot of these other plot-heavy shooters. Right. Uh, which is just the demons talking about how cool you are, and you're basically... Yeah 
to the demons, you are their equivalent of a demon. They have knights standing against you. They have priests that seal you away. There's like some ritual to summon you. You are the thing that goes bump in the night for the things that go bump in the night. And it's it's just so hilariously over the top. I have to respect that. I don't want to sound harsh on Doom. I think Doom is a very, very strong, very good, uh, very endearing game. I just, if I had to pick some, some negative points for it, I didn't get that impression from the first moment I played it. Yeah, no, and I think that's, I think that's completely fair. Um, you know, riding this negativity train all the way to the station. I think, <laughs> I think we should talk about some of the. We we probably should have done this backwards so we could end on a positive note. But what are some of the the worst ones that came out? I mean, I guess we talked about stuff like the division already, but if there's something that kind of stands out as as uh, a specific game that that you uh, would be happy not to see again or see the likes of it again in 2017, I'm kind of curious. Um, Ethan, I know you were kind of mentioning that stuff before, but I don't know if you have. Well, one. I mean, since since Mr. Ed could not join us, I feel like it's I you know. It's only fair if we all mention No Man's Sky's failings. Oh, I, yeah, I guess. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't I'm just like kidding. I have not played. That was like a physical Sky, reaction. Sorry. Wow, Reed. <laughs> was it really? I know, Reed, I Reed was like, yeah. it, in, in Reed's alternate no, life, he spends like ten hours a day on the the No Man's Sky Reddit. Yeah, and it, it's the end of my day. I'm done, you know, administering the No Man's Sky Reddit. I just want to have fun. <laughs> so, Ethan. I didn't. Oh, sorry. Oh, no, no, no. I didn't mean to interrupt anyone. You go on. No, I was just going to ask Ethan if he wanted to uh, talk more about the many lies of Sean Murray. <laughs> oh, gosh. No, not at all. Um, I, 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 I stopped caring about No Man's Sky so quickly um, and was like, all right, well, I mean, you know, hopefully it'll, it'll be whatever game people want it to be at some point. Mm-hmm. And if it's not, like, whatever, it's, you know, it's a few bucks. Um a few no, bucks. I mean, there's, there's a lot of, I don't know, like, I could talk about Destiny and how much Destiny still sucks, but I don't think, and I, I don't want to bore anyone with that. Um, Even though you keep telling me to buy it. Well, because that's how, that's the, it's like a curse. I don't know if you ever saw the Portlandia sketch where, you know, there's some, I forget what movie it is, that the Netflix person delivers to you, oh. and then... You can't you can't send it back and get a new movie until you make someone else watch it. Yeah. And that's kind of how Destiny is. It's like the only way to make it the experience not completely like terrible and you know somehow manageable is if you make other people do it with you. And it's like it's terrible how many people have gotten to play that game with me and like it never we never actually reach its full potential in terms of like getting together, doing the raid, or doing like one of the competitive multiplayer events. Like it just never happens. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm surprised though. I just you know, we went this whole time, and did anyone even mention the words Uncharted for? No, because I don't know that I have strong feelings about that game anymore. I mean, I think that's an indictment in and of itself. I think so too, because I actually I have a lot of love for those say, first I, three. I don't think it's possible to have strong feelings about Uncharted. <laughs> I think that's kind of the point. I well, 
Yeah, I mean, I think those games have a decent amount of personality to them. Um, but Uncharted Four, I think that's a game that the the uh, when you think back on it, it's just kind of nothingy. It it's it was I think kind of unnecessary. Um, just a, a victory lap that wasn't it was just completely uncalled for in terms of what they'd already done. Um, that's that's actually one thing I kind of am hoping is that this 2016 marks the end of the we're going to make another game in the series because we have to and mm, because so many know. quote first editions have poked their heads out we're, we're going to start seeing more not, not to say that games like Uncharted or Call of Duty or Battlefield are going to stop arising because I don't think that will ever happen but at least we'll see a broader kind of more diverse pool in, in which they swim yeah and that's that's always one of my hopes for video games in general is just uh, uh, less... It's kind of the same thing we have going with film right now, too, where if you don't like the things that have been popular for the last however long, or you've just gotten tired of them, like, you're just kind of SOL, you know? There's mm. there's not a lot of uh, new ideas being funded all the time. It, it does seem like 2016 was the year that collectively, or just coincidentally, everyone decided it was okay to try and experiment. And I'm not upset about that. Maybe. Even Battlefield 1, um, like its campaign mode is an anthology of short stories. And how mm -hmm. often do you see that in games? Right. And again, I think that's sort of a focusing on like character. Because like the whole big thing, especially with the friends in high places and the runner story bits in Battlefield 1, is they focus on these sort of character arcs for the main characters. It's a big thing, again, on like focusing on, I think, not necessarily putting a lot of writing energy behind the plots of the games, but rather developing these strong characters and then putting the energy uh, around doing what those games do well, which are these sort of sprawling, sandboxy sort of uh, um, rule sets, I guess. That's a really interesting point, because if you look at a game like, I'll say Modern Warfare, because it's fairly monolithic, is a game that has an excessively convoluted plot and like comically underwritten characters, and Battlefield 1 is exactly the opposite. The characters are, they, they seem to take up 90% of the writer's energy, and then the plot is just sort of like the context. Like, you're fighting at Gallipoli. You're fighting in, in, in London as, a, as an air pilot. You're, you're fighting as a Bedouin um, during the sort of whole Lawrence of Arabia operation. Things that are so embedded in our cultural knowledge that we don't even really have to be told about them, so we can instead focus that attention on talking about who was there, not what they were doing. Right, and I don't... I'm not necessarily opposed to a shooter with, like, a heavily involved plot, but what I like about these shooters, as opposed to, like, something like Modern Warfare, is, like, Modern Warfare, the plot is maybe not the central focus. The central focus is, you know... The, the shooting dudes um, and the plot is there because it's sort of an obligation um, and what I like about games like Battlefield 1 or Doom or Titanfall 2 um, is that the plot is less of a focus because it's not what the game necessarily wants to focus on uh, and so it's confident enough in itself not to pretend like the plot is a huge thing and like the division spend two hours talking to me <laughs> about it if they don't care about it that much and instead it focuses on creating this sort of very fun sort of playset and then characterizing the action figures that are in it 
which I think is sort of a it's not a shame to be a, a game in that way hmm I would be an asshole and say that I don't think they developed the characters in Battlefield 1 either. I think it th- it's very mixed between the uh between the different stories. I don't necessarily think they do it well. Mm-hmm. Um I think Battlefield 1's campaign tries a lot of things and doesn't succeed at a lot of them, but I'm interested by the attempt to move away from like what they did with Battlefield 3's campaign, which was a sort of Call of Duty light experience um, that didn't main the multiplayer that was obviously the main focus, of, didn't mirror the multiplayer that was obviously the main focus of the team at all, to the point where like it uses different ballistics engines. It's like two different games stapled onto each other because they felt obligated. To yeah. put out a campaign, and I think Battlefield One goes in the opposite direction. Of here are several stories with which we can sort of t- introduce you to what we've spent the majority of our time doing, um, and then we populate them with characters that we try to keep you like that provide context, but don't necessarily spend you know four hours of cutscenes like it's Metal Gear Solid, even though it's not. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, I can appreciate that. I wasn't the biggest fan of, of that thing, but yeah. like obviously, player. I'm using a lot of loaded statements. Like, oh, it's not afraid to be a game. A game can be anything. But the point is, like, these are shooters that very much know what they want to be, put the thrust of their effort behind that, and aren't afraid to stand behind that, even if they lack things that other shooters have had but that maybe they don't need to have in the first place yeah and i think that's also another you know as something we can talk about uh sort of the broadening of shooters in 2016 i think that's a part of it as well is um uh these games that kind of know what they are uh and i think are stronger for it you know there's especially in the mainstream of games there's a lot of stuff that just kind of you know, pragmatically tries to appeal to as many people as possible in order to sell as much as possible and then just kind of becomes mixed, um, kind of watered down or just safe and bland. And, uh, yeah, maybe that's why this year has been a little bit better because these games are actually trying to be different from one another or trying to be themselves. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Is there anything else we want to talk about with, with these shooting games? this year what's your favorite gun I don't know I'm not sicko Ethan (laughs) 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 I don't know I liked uh, it's gonna be horseshit I think uh, Mafia 3 has a really good shotgun Um, that ties into that game's attitude really well oh man there's a take I've been waiting for that game (laughs) that game has this the, the best moment that repeats over and over again that game is when you decide, as Link and Clay, that you're just going to kick in a door and just, you know, lay waste. And uh, the shotgun is perfect for that. What's yours, Ethan? I mean, if... Um, it's probably... Uh... Oh, gosh, why can't I remember his name? From Overwatch, the DJ. Lucio. Lucio's... Uh... The little blub, blub, blub. Yeah, his uh, that's what it's called. The yeah, base I, cannon. It's 
it's my it, favorite. I don't know what it is. Like, it's just hypnotic for me when I'm just, like, just sliding from side to side, just firing it off. Because um, it's great for my lack of aim and yeah. the fact that you're constantly strafing. And it's it's definitely, you know, since I'm, I'm not going to count in Destiny in this year, it's definitely the most satisfying time I had firing something. I think that's the thing about Overwatch is, like, you don't have to aim to play Overwatch, but it helps. Um, there, there's a lot of it's roles true. you can play in Overwatch, even if you've like never picked up a shooter before, and you can still contribute like a lot of value to the team. Like you don't necessarily have to be a hindrance. Like uh, Winston doesn't have to aim with his gun, and that doesn't mean he doesn't take skill. It's just it's all about like positioning and, and jumping and knowing like when to distract enemies away from your team it's a lot of skills that maybe like someone who's played an mmo or maybe someone who's played a platformer might have but maybe you know they're new to shooters that's a character that they can play to sort of get introduced to overwatch yeah i patrick i think you should play overwatch and i think we should talk about it i will has michelle won you over michelle is actually pr for blizzard we didn't oh god (laughs) we didn't mention that at the top of the episode sorry Hey, I, I think I did a pretty good job restraining myself on talking about Overwatch. <laughs> no, it's a good game. I could go on and on. Um, well, maybe as a last thing then for following with what Ethan said, do you have a favorite shooter gun from this year? A favorite shooter Is gun? Is it going to be some uh, Overwatch? I've never been like someone who focuses on specific weapons that much. Um, what kind of normal, I think well-adjusted go... non-sociopath are you? <laughs> I think I'm honestly I'm gonna go with uh t- I'm gonna cheat and go with two guns because I think well one's not even a gun but I think they fill similar roles I'm gonna go with the chainsaw and the BFG from Doom um, because they're sort of two like ultimate weapons um, that can insta kill enemies that like aren't a part of your normal arsenal but that you can sort of rely on if you're having trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's sort of a, a clever way to introduce that sort of MOBA fighting game mechanic even into this old school shooter where, because uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but in the old school Dooms, the BFG was just like a normal part of your arsenal, right? It was, yeah. And they used but the same this, ammo as the plasma rifle. But I'm in this game, it's like, a, <laughs> it's like a special screen clear, like you're playing mm-hmm. a beat-em-up, um, and that sort of introduces uh, a lot of fun interplay with the oh god fun's a very vague word but that introduces a lot of sort of um strategy i guess with the movement based gameplay because i had moments where i was ducking and diving around shooting these demons and i realized and i'm in trouble and i realized oh i haven't used the bfg yet i've been like holding back this whole time time to get serious on these fools and then I switch and I use the BFG and it's like, yeah, it's right. It's not even my final form. Here's the <laughs> actual power, what I'm fully capable. And no, it does, using the BFG makes you feel powerful and also keeping yourself from using the BFG makes you feel powerful uh, because when you yes. use BFG, you obviously <clears throat> kill a lot of people. And when you keep yourself from using the BFG, it's like, I don't even need this to beat you. That's how good I am. I think they both play into that sort of religious fervor uh, for the Doom Slayer that Doom has. Yeah, that's... Like, I have issues with games that, like, glorify the player as, like, the center. Um, t- 
to the I, I don't know if that's always necessarily needed like the player is god but doom does that to such a degree that it's I don't want to say heart because again that's another vague term but it's it's funny it's charming um again it commits to that idea and so I think it pulls it off in a way that uh other games don't, like Call of Duty uh don't necessarily do like when they kill your guy in Call of Duty 4 I know it's a very strong moment for a lot of people but like I don't know this guy but like when I die as the Doom Slayer in Doom it's like oh god how could I die I'm the fucking Doom Slayer <laughs> um yeah I I think there's there's uh uh, the the way that they build him up, uh, the Doom Slayer in that game through the you know little bits of backstory and everything uh, are almost satirical. Uh, the the way that yeah. they kind oh, of oh, it's entirely satirical. It is it is the butt of its own joke. Which yeah, I can I can really get with that because I think you know there's there's nothing wrong with uh, finding ways to empower the player in in certain things, but I think it's the last thing we need in in video games right now. It's, it's gone too far. It's okay to make the player not feel uh, perfect and special and, and unique. <laughs> um, speaking of not perfect, special, or unique, Patrick, your favorite gun. <laughs> I'm just going to ignore that. Um, my favorite gun, I'm going to go with the Katana from Super Hot. Oh, that's not a gun, um, though. I am, look, I'm, I'm, I'm playing a wild card okay. here. You're just going to have to deal with it. Um, because that game is all about just like the the feel of moving and the feel of of combat for lack of a better word and it feels in a game where you essentially move frame by frame there's there's just something about slicing through somebody that feels so good and then you can throw it at someone and that also feels so good and i know it doesn't make any sense because any weapon will kill any character in that game in one hit so it's not like any gun is inherently better or worse than another but something about picking up a katana and just kind of running around and slicing people with it is just really satisfying. Patrick, you should play Overwatch. <laughs> I've heard of this game. <laughs> um, yeah, so I don't know. It, it feels like I, I think we uh, we covered a lot of ground. Um, There's a lot that came out. And there was a lot to talk about. But um, this this is different for us. We usually we just kind of dig deep into one specific thing. So to try to cover a lot is is hard, but I don't know. Did we did we do it? Are we done? Can I'm satisfied? Twenty sixteen end now. Fucking oh God, please. please. Yeah. No, but if twenty sixteen ends, then we have to deal with twenty seventeen. Yeah, it's, it's all these people saying you know fuck twenty sixteen. It's twenty seventeen's coming. And there's 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 nothing you can do about that. See, I like to think that 2017 is my kill streak reward for surviving 2016. Mm. So it's just going to be like the the helicopter that comes in and like does whatever the helicopter does in Call of Duty. I guess kills people. <laughs> I don't want 2017 to kill people. Please don't kill people. Don't kill people. Killing people's bad. So Patrick is going to hire a helicopter gunship <laughs> to strafe everyone in 2017. All of this is metaphorical. Yeah, that's how many lists are we on at this point? <laughs> the Boston PD is like outside <laughs> Patrick's apartment right now. It's, it's true. They've been there for a while. Um, I'm recording this from a cell. Yeah. So I guess I guess we gotta wrap this this sucker up, right? Um, mm. What What are the usual things that Ed says that <laughs> that we have to remember to say? Um, Where can we find everybody? Well, no, no. Because that's the we... last thing we do. 
Uh, don't ask questions then if you don't want the answer to it. Okay, no, let's do that first. You know, Ed's not here. Dad's not here. Let's go wild. Let's, <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's start with Michelle. Michelle, where can people find you? Uh, people can find me right now on uh, Twitter, at uh, Shell Earhart. Uh, it's just my name minus the M-I at the beginning because Twitter character limits. Um, and if you follow me there, I will be posting any work I do there, and it will be easy to find me from there. Perfect. Uh, Ethan Gatch? Uh, people can find me also on Twitter if you want to see me pop off about uh, class warfare and really shitty reviews of Rogue One. <laughs> you can find me <laughs> at E-T-H-A-N-G-A-C-H, and also on the weekends, you can see me... Uh, you know, writing a few things at Kotaku. Yeah, I've seen that before. Uh, Patrick, everyone knows where you are. It's at Han Freaking Solo. Patrick, where can people find me? Uh, I mean, if they wanted to, which I don't know why they would, but if they wanted to, they could find you on Twitter at Reed McCarter. That's that's right. That's that's your Twitter handle. Yeah, right? that's true. And I got yours right. Okay. I, cool. Yeah, you're yeah, good. I, I got yours right. Do you guys remember when Han Solo died at the end of last year? That was sad. Yes. Wow! Spoilers, dude. I honestly forgot that until just now. <laughs> I, I watched that movie a few days ago, so it's it's on the uh, top of my mind. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's that's the new thing I'm gonna do at the end of every episode is just spoil something that Han Solo didn't have to deal with 2016. That's right. Um, he was saved from it. Do you guys remember when Rosebud was just a sled? No? You're fired. God. You're fired. Um, yeah, so... Uh, it, it was Earth all along. That's that's another one. Tyler Durden is Edward Norton as well. Um, yeah, let's let's finish this. Um, you, should, you should be reading bullet points monthly. Uh, you really should. We put a lot of work into it. It's a lot more coherent than the podcast. Um, I, I don't, I think, come across as quite a, much of a piece of shit um patrick comes off not quite well. not quite as much wow <laughs> no i'm just reed i love you it's okay. <laughs> i'm just i'm just free balling here um what are we talking about this month reed? uh this month we are talking about hitman uh hitman yeah io interactives hitman uh which patrick's article is up um mine is going up uh will be up by the time you hear this and then uh ed will be at the end of the month and our Special guest this month is Robert Rath, who you might know from the Critical Intel uh, column that he runs at Waypoint now, I believe. Uh, we also have a Patreon um, that we need you to put money into because that helps us to continue to do things. Um, if you don't have money, you can share it, and we greatly appreciate that. Um, yeah, I guess that's about it. I think. You can flip your calendars over now. It's 2017. I'm just giving a giant middle finger to 2016, and I hope you will all join me in doing so. Yeah. Yeah, why not? Um, so, thank you again, Ethan, Michelle, uh, Patrick, as always. You're, you're, you're welcome, I guess. Great. Thank you, guys. Beautiful. Uh, all of you, I'm Reed McCarter, and uh, yeah, this has been Bullet Points. We'll uh, see you again in two